seated this morning. Greet somebody in the name of the Lord. Tell them how glad you are. How glad you are to see him in the house of God today. Well, you may have had to slip and you may have had to slide, but you made it in the building this morning. Hallelujah. I heard all these people saying, pray for rain. We're praying for rain. Well, my God, we're catching up. Hallelujah. I'm wondering if I need to build a boat, you know. And uh, I, I, find it, I find it interesting that it's usually a downpour every Sunday. Um, but the good news is the excitement is building. And so, uh, I, honestly, I, I would prefer it to rain on Sunday so that they're not hindered on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, right? So, um, we, we are inconvenienced. I'm so grateful for our First Impressions team, specifically the guys out in the parking lot, the greeters, helping to make, your, make sure everybody's safe. Do me a favor, on your way out today, just show some love. I mean, they are literally standing in the rain. Uh, they, they even told me that somebody was out there pressure washing or spraying water. I'm like, we got enough water going on out here. Hallelujah, what in the world? They were spraying the mud off, just trying to make it as safe and um, enjoyable. I hope you carry something home today, preferably some mud. Hallelujah, I hope you just carry it right into your car, just get it out of the way. <laughs> we're grading. I'm so glad to be in the house of the Lord. On days like this, um, you know, you just never know how people act. You know, on you know, baby, it's cold outside, and it's a little rainy, too. And, uh, Lord, I done walked in here, and I figured it might just be me, Peter, James, and John in the room today. But you look good in this first service. Hallelujah. Some of you even dressed up in a suit. Come on. Glory to God. Lord, have mercy. Are you in trouble? Did you... Did you you grounded your mama, your mama, I was kidding, make you dress up. You look better than me. I'm going to have to raise my game. And you got your Jordans on too. Hallelujah. Are those 13s? Those are 13s, aren't they? No, you don't know? Okay. He said, I'm not sure. All right. I do. What size you wear? We're going to sew them into the ministry today, son. Kick those shoes off. Hallelujah. So glad to see you in the house of the Lord. So glad to see you in the house of the Lord. Listen, uh, these next few weeks are going to be very exciting, and I'm going to take a minute because I have a um, message from the Lord today. Very passionate about it. Uh, next Sunday, next Sunday is Christmas Eve, and we will have our 8.30 service and our 10 o'clock service. We will forego the noon service. I know there's a lot of traditions and meals and things like that, and so we'll, we call it a two-service Sunday. So we'll be at the 8.30 to 10. And then uh, Christmas Eve evening, which happens to fall on a Sunday, at 6 p.m., we do our annual Christmas candlelight service. 6 p.m., we come in, and it's candlelit. And we peel back all of the entertainment, and we just tell the Christmas story as it's written in Scripture. We read the Christmas story. We sing some of the old hymns, some of the old songs of the faith, uh, like, Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, all you faithful. Um, we don't do the jingle bell thing. Santa Claus is coming to town. I'll let y'all do that at your house, but... At his house, we're going to talk about him, not some really weird guy who needs to be on keto. <laughs> or that deer that, that swam into Lake Wiley and got some of that nuclear energy going on. I, I'll tell you after service. I'll tell you after service. And so uh, we'll do that at 6 o'clock. It lasts, it lasts one hour, um, you know, from 6, 6 p.m. until 7. 
And it's just a great way to honor the king. Um, it's usually a packed wall-to-wall room situation every year. And I just invite you to come be a part of it. Bring family. If you got family in town, bring family and friends. We do not live stream it or anything like that. We literally just read the Christmas story and then sing the songs of old in between. And so it's, it's one of my favorite, favorite things we do here at Judah. I'd love for you to be a part of it if you can. If your, um, you know, traditions and all those things um, permit it to, to do. And if you don't have traditions, what a great one to start. So um, it's, it's a powerful time. The following Sunday is a very special day. We call it our Sabbath Sunday. And what that means is we take that Sunday off completely and we rest for what God's going to do in the new year. So on New Year's Eve, enjoy your Sunday. Uh, worship together as a family. Read devotions. Do whatever you want to do. If you want to visit another church, the kingdom is incredible. Go visit another church. Just don't stay. I'm just kidding. Just be obedient to what the Lord would have you do. I mean, I'm, I'm not scared at all. Hallelujah. And, um, you know, I know this ain't a place for everybody. It doesn't make sense to me, but I know it's not a place for everybody. I, I, it, I love what God is doing through, through the lives of the people that he's brought here. And so we believe, uh, Jesus said, labor to enter into rest. We believe in rest. And the holiday season is a very busy season. And maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, why wouldn't you take off Christmas Eve? Because Christmas is about Jesus. Hey, you know what we're going to do? We're going to celebrate you by not showing up to your house. Now, with my in-laws, that sounds awesome. Okay, hallelujah. Some of you didn't laugh. That's okay. You must be that in-law. And so we, uh, we just rest that last Sunday of the year. We take it off just to give you the opportunity to really invest and spend time as family. I encourage you not to take Sunday off. Read your devotions. Do something. Do worship as a family. You know, allow that to be the place. But um, just enjoy your time because 2024 is running towards us. And the first Sunday of 2024, January the 7th, um, we, initi- we will initiate our sacred assembly. It's a 21-day fast. And we'll meet together uh, every Sunday, every Wednesday, and then we add Friday evenings for prayer. And for those three weeks, for 21 days, we as a family, we, we as a church body, we consecrate ourselves according to Joel chapter 1, verse 14. We consecrate ourselves as a 21-day fast. After the way some of us eat, we need to go on a fast physically and spiritually. Hallelujah. And so um, it's just a great opportunity to give God our, our, the beginning of our year knowing that he's going to fill the rest of the year with his, with his goodness. And so that's the time. I just want to lay that in front of you. All the stuff's on the app. Um, when that time comes for our fast, we, we have booklets and PDF files and e-books and all kinds of things about understanding how to fast, what to fast, and we'll go on that journey together. But there's a lot of things, incredible things that are happening over the next few weeks. I wanted to take a minute and just tell you what they are. You'll hear them again at the end of service, I'm sure, um, with whoever's closing. Um, I will say this as well. Uh, Normally, we exit through the gym, but because of the rain and because of just how muddy and slippery it is, we will exit back through the foyer entrance today just to be able to make sure everybody stays safe. Amen? Everybody good? Look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor, um, I'm, Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas. I'm glad to see you. What I wanted to say was your breast stinks, but I knew I needed to be spiritual so that I just threw the Merry Christmas. My wife's in this first service, and so I got to behave. Hallelujah. Grab your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 1. Thanks, guys. We're continuing the series as we run towards uh, next Sunday, our last Sunday of the year for us as a church family. And we're dealing with this series entitled The Omni. Last week, we talked about the God who is omnipotent. He's omnipotent. 
He has all power. And today I want to talk to you about something um, that, if full transparency, is incomprehensible. This particular aspect and dimension of God is incomprehensible. There is no way that I can explain or articulate this to you. There is no way that you and I are going to really be able to grasp and fathom the depth of this attribute, this characteristic, this, this dimension of God. God is omniscient. He is omniscience. He is omniscient. He has omniscience. He is omniscience. This is incomprehensible. There is no way I'm going to help you and I be able to get our handle on this. As a matter of fact, the more I have studied this over the last few weeks, the more confusing it is to me. Because I cannot wrap my mind around this dimension of God. And the little bit that I do understand in moments of crisis, it's hard for me to remember. And here's the point of omniscience. God knows everything about everything. He, he knows everything about everything. And I'm going to try to scratch the surface of our understanding today. But we serve a God that knows everything about everything. He is omniscient. He's omniscient. He has omniscience. He is omniscience. This word in the Latin, it translates two words. It means omni, it means all. And, and science is knowledge. He has all knowledge. Go to the next slide for me, Matthew. He has all knowledge. He has all knowledge. In other words, God has omniscience, and that means he can never learn anything new. He, he never counts. He never discovers. He never wonders. He never remembers. He never receives counsel. He never learns something new. He never misinterprets anything. He is omniscient. Nothing can surprise him. Nothing can take him by being unaware. He is never blindsided by anything. That means that he knows everything about everything. That means he knows everything about our past, about our present, and about our future at the same time. He is never blindsided. He never operates in strategy. He knows everything about everything right now in this moment. He knows all of the history, not of your life, but of all of history. And all of the future, not just about your life, but all of the future, about everything about the future, and everything that is happening right now. He is so omniscient. He has such knowledge that nothing going on, past, present, or future, surprises him. Romans chapter 11, verse 33, listen to these words. Oh, the depth of the riches of both of wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. What's what we're going to try to do? Paul is saying to the church of Rome, and I'm saying to you today, that we are never going to be able to grasp the depth of his wisdom and his knowledge. Do you know what this means? He's never stressed out about anything, and he never can be stressed out about anything. He, he does not use strategy to figure anything out. He knows it all right now, past, 
present, and future. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 13, listen to these words of the prophet Isaiah. He says, who has directed the spirit of the Lord? Or, or who has his counselor, has as his counselor has taught him? With whom did he take counsel? Who instructed him and taught him in the path of justice? Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? The answer to these rhetorical questions is no one. No one has ever counseled God. No one has ever instructed God. No one has ever taught him knowledge and understanding. Our God knows everything about everything. Do you know what this means? That means when you and I pray, we're not giving him insight. When we pray to him, we're, we're not giving him insight or information he doesn't already have. We're not, God, baby, you don't know this going on in my life. Well, he's omniscient. He knows everything going on in your life. He knows everything that was going on in your life. He knows everything that is going on in your life. And he knows everything that will be going on in your life. You're the one who lives in mm, time. He doesn't. He knows everything about everything. This is why he said in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6, verse 8, that even before you ask, the Father already knows. And most of us, when we go to God, we go to God like we're informing him of something he may not be aware of. Did you know the kid you gave me is crazy? He's not shocked. And the reason he's not shocked is because he knew you. And he knew that there was a part of you that was in him or her. So yes, he's fully aware of the cray-cray. So when we go and we pray, and we start praying to God about our bills, or about our health, or about our loss, or about our sickness, we're not giving him information he doesn't already have. But we're praying to him that we let him know, we know you're in charge. We know you're awesome. We know you're sovereign. We know you're in charge. But Lord, according to your will, I'm asking you to do something in my life according to your will. Many of us pray like he doesn't have a clue. So just in case you didn't realize, I need to tell you what's going on in my life. No, you need to get it out of you and put it on somebody that already knows about it and can figure out. And he already has the plan for how he's working it out. And then most of us think that when we pray to him, now that we've given it to him, he's going to do something. I'm going to let you in on a secret. Everything that God is ever going to do, he's already done. I'm going to give it to you in the scripture at the end. Don't want to get ahead of myself because we're going to punch hard at the end. But I don't want you to have this understanding that your prayer is to give God information he may not have. He knows. This is, why, this is why David wrote it in Psalm 147, verse 5, this way. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. Look at this. His understanding is infinite. He knows everything about everything immediately. He knows all of your past. He knows all of your present. And he knows all of your future in this moment. This is the difference between Kronos and Kairos. Kronos is 
time based upon humanity. But Kairos is the timing of God. God does not exist in our now. He is ever existing. He is the self-existent one. He lives in the past, present, and future at the same moment. He has an understanding of the past, present, and future at the same moment. He knows everything at the moment. And so he will come into our chronos with his kairos and let us walk into peace knowing that he's the God who has it all in the plan. Okay. David also said in Psalm 139, verse 4, he said, For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Oh, man, this sets me free when I'm in seasons that I don't understand. That, oh, God, when I even, according to Romans, when I have groanings that I can't even utter myself. Anybody ever been in a season when you don't even know how to pray? There's a part of you that wants to be spiritual and say, God, whatever you want to do. But then there's another part of you going, yeah, really, this really sucks. I'm sorry, I thought I was in the third service. My apologies. This really is hard. This is really difficult. This is really painful. I'm really afraid. I'm really scared. Man, you're putting me in a situation that I really don't want to be in. And what God is saying is that you need to understand I already know it and I know it all together. What I love about this statement is that what God knows about your life is not fragmented. It's not fragmented. He didn't have a piece of your past and a piece of your future and a piece of your present. No, he knows all of your past along with all of your future. And standing right here in all of your present, he's letting you know, I got it all together. I know how this thing's going to turn out. I know the way I started you was the way I meant to start you so that I could get you where you are today because I'm about to take you where you're about to be. And listen to me, I got it all together. I, listen, I'm not chaotic. I'm not strategic. I'm not sitting here being strategic. I'm not fragmented and trying to figure out how I'm going to piece this together. Watch this. Even your sinful season, he knew was going to come to pass and was going to happen in your life. And he said, I'm even going to use your sin. I'm even going to use that addiction. I'm even going to use that bondage. I'm going to use that failure in your life because I'm the God who's got it all together. Even when you don't have it all together, you have a God who is omniscient, who has it all together. That's why John wrote in 1 John chapter 3. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. What John is saying, that even if my heart posture is dead wrong, God is greater than my heart posture. Look at this. And he knows all things. I'm about to run around this room. He knows all things. He even knows the parts of my heart that's wrong. And even the wrong parts of my heart, he still got it all together. Book of Job, chapter 37. Listen to Job. Do you know how the clouds are balanced? Those wondrous works of him who is perfect in knowledge. Y'all, he's omniscient, but his knowledge is perfect. In other words, 
He has eternal knowledge. And his knowledge that is eternal is perfect. Uh, here's what this means. Mama, help me, Holy Spirit. This doesn't mean he gets smarter the older he gets. It's called successional education. This is what you and I live with. We come into this earth and we dumb. We don't know nothing about nothing. We, we don't know how to eat. And the Lord has to work our system to make sure we get rid of what we don't need. But we don't even know how to clean it up. We don't even know how to stand up. We don't know how to walk. We don't know how to talk. If you ever had a baby, you know. And so what happens is the moment we're born, you and I begin to operate in successional education, which means the older we get, the more learned, <laughs> in theory, the more learned, the more learned we become. God is not successional in his education. He doesn't get smarter. There's nothing else for him to know. If you're wondering, yes, I'm leading you to a point. You may not have known this, but Moses was a songwriter. And in the book of Psalm, chapter 90, we see the one song that they left us that came from Moses. For the sake of time, I'm only going to give you the first few verses. But listen to Moses as he's in the wilderness experience. Look at this. He said, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth and ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Do you know what they're saying? Do you know what Moses is singing? Moses is singing that no matter where our bodies are, God, you are the dwelling place of my soul. That it doesn't matter where I am in my present situation. I'm going to talk about him being omnipresent, Emmanuel, God with us next week. That it does not matter where my body may be. If my body is in my 20s, if my body is in my 30s, if my bodies are in my 80s, if my body is in a healthy situation and I'm able to function, or if my body is in a hospital room in the ICU, it does not matter where my body is, Moses is saying. My soul has found its dwelling place, and it does not matter where my body is because my soul is dwelling in the God who knows it all. This is very difficult for us when we get into difficult seasons. Isaiah 55. And here's why it's hard. Because the Lord says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. And my ways are not your ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than yours and my thoughts than your thoughts. And we love that about God when he's doing what we want him to do. It is quiet in this library. We love this scripture when he's doing something that is exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or think. But what this means is that God does not think nor work on our level. And it also means that we do not think or work on his. 
So the war we face is who's in charge of our life. What he's thinking about you is on a whole different level than what you think about your situation. He's making decisions for you based upon the level he lives on. Not the level of your comfort zone. Okay. He doesn't think on our level. He doesn't work on our level. And we do not think on his level. And we do not work on his level. So good news for the people in the room, along with me, who's ever went, God, I just don't understand what you're doing. Four of us, okay. The rest of you, I'm almost done, so just, just hang tight. Check Facebook. And in seasons where it absolutely makes no sense, God is saying, the reason what I'm doing makes no sense is because your senses are on a level far beneath me. So if I don't hear it right, see it right, touch it right, taste it right, or smell it right, it doesn't make sense. I do not have that understanding. That means the one I am yielded to is taking my life on a trajectory that is above my own pay grade. So, I was going to swing at this punch and then the Lord said, no, write it down because I want them to get it. But I need to preface this next statement. Because life will never make sense if you don't grasp this concept. Throw it up there for me, Matthew. If I trust that he knows it all, I have to trust that he knows what he's doing. If I trust that he knows it all, then I have to trust that he knows what he's doing in my life. This makes no sense. But I trust that you know what you're doing. Easy to say when he's doing what we want. But this is the crisis of our Christianity. Our relationship with him. I know you know everything, but I'm not sure you have a clue what you're doing. The first word of our vision is real. This is real talk this morning. I know you know everything. I'm just not sure you know what you're doing. Seventeen examples going on in my head, and I can't say any of them. This is why God doesn't let some of us get rich. Well, money changes people. No, money exposes who you really are. So you got a loved one who's dead. And nobody can grieve the loved one because they're fighting over the dollars. So no wonder they died with nothing. Because you're still fighting and they died with nothing. Imagine if they had, okay, I need to shut up. Imagine if they had something to fight about.
You can't, oh, I want to be in the third service so bad. You can't keep your crap together. But you want him to give you a spouse? You want y'all fight like cats and dogs by yourself, but you want him to give you a kid? You, okay. You knows what he's doing. And this is hard, this is hard to understand. Because there are moments it doesn't make sense, like why would he allow a baby to be born just to take it home before it even turns 10? I don't know. But I have to trust he knows what he's doing. I don't know what he's doing, because he don't think and work on my level. But I have to trust it. That the God who knows it all knows what he's doing. Okay. This is why he said in Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plan that I have for you, declares the Lord, is to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. I know the plan. Listen, I'm going to help college students and those people who are living and operating in 17, the 27 land who's terrified that every decision you make that is wrong, everything's going to fall to pieces for the rest of your life. You do not have to know the plan. You just have to know where the plan is. And he knows the plan that he has for you. And that's good news for you because he knows the plan past, present, and future. And if he knows the plan past, present, and future, you don't have to know the plan. You just got to stay close to the one who does. I don't have, have you ever gone on a trip and you didn't have a clue where you were going? So what do you do? Especially if you're following in traffic, you just stay right behind the one who knows. And there are even seasons when you're standing behind him going, I'm not sure. They know. Have you ever had a wife? I'm not sure you know where you're going. I'm not sure you know where you're going. Shut up, thus saith the Lord. Talk like a foolish woman, for you do not have in mind the things of God. I'm feeling better all the time. He has the plan. And I don't have to know the plan. I just have to stay. This is why he said that not that the plan that God has for you is ordered by the Lord, but the steps are ordered by the Lord. He doesn't have the end destination and go, I don't know how you're going to get there, but you just have at it. Okay. This is, this is personified in the life of Jesus himself. Gospel of Matthew chapter 1. Think about this. The God who knows it all, I have to trust, knows what he's doing. This 12 to 14 year old little virgin is now with child. And it's easy to look at it on the armchair quarterback, hindsight being 2020. We know how it's all kind of working out. But imagine being Joseph. And here you have, you're engaged to your virgin wife, soon to be. 
and she walks up to you and says, I just need you to know I'm pregnant. Well, in this culture, that means you're dead. That means you're dead. I'm pregnant, watch this, and God did it. Now you're dead and crazy. You done lo- <laughs> Don't you blame God? Could you imagine that being the conversation? You're engaged. You done put a ring on it. And she goes back and goes, listen, I know we're about to get married, but I just need to tell you something. See, it was his wedding day, too. Joseph had every right to be angry. Had every right to question. Had every right to grieve. Had every right to doubt. Had every right to be sad. Had every right to be afraid. Because he knew somehow this girl that I thought was all mine is no longer all mine. And he's perplexed because he doesn't know what he's going to do about it. This, This is scandalous. This is my, my teenage pregnant daughter back in MTV days has desensitized us to the scandal. I gotta be careful what I'm gonna say next. So now we celebrate their sin. There was a day we would have been ashamed of it. Well, I'm never gonna be ashamed of my child. Well. There, there are some things that doesn't make me proud. It's hard. I'm a Tar Heel fan. Do you know how hard it is to cheer for stupid plays? Oh, that's just awesome. You threw the ball away for the fifth time. Oh, this is, this is amazing. Oh, you just, ugh, this is why I like you. It's okay, baby. It's okay. You had a rough day yesterday. No, keep the daggone ball in possession. We lost again. Tar Heels for life. Whoop, whoop. No, we ain't doing that. <laughs> oh, God, I can't wait for the third service. Joseph is sitting here, and he's confused. And he's angry. And he has to believe that what this girl's telling him is true. And according to Scripture, he's sitting there trying to figure it out. And this is a major decision for Joseph. Because it's either wed her while she's pregnant or put her away or put her to death. Because culture, we talk about cultural uh, uh, pressure. Culture demanded that girl to die for this. And if he doesn't step up, she's dead. They will drag her into the middle of the street, and the religious guys of that day will stone this girl to death. And all of that is weighing on the guy who's confused himself. How about this, fellas? You want to talk about having to confront your own insecurity? 
the Holy Spirit conceived in her. You want to talk about not living up to something? It was the Holy Spirit that conceived in her. Even the sound system is shocked. And this ought to be great news for my overthinkers. So Joseph finally went to sleep. And God visited the overthinker in his dream. See, sometimes God has to speak to people in their dreams because they won't shut up this long enough to let him talk. So he'll visit the overthinkers in their dream so that he can tell you what it really is instead of what you see it to be. And he says, Joseph, I got this. Everything she's saying is true. I'm, val I'm trying to give you peace, Joseph, because you're going to have to live this out. And he visited the overthinker in his dreams. And I love this, verse 24. And Joseph, when he woke up, he did what God said. What did God say? Marry this girl. Call his name Jesus. He didn't tell him, teach him how to ride a bike. He didn't tell him, teach him how to become a carpenter. That's later. Right now, in the middle of crisis, God says, marry her, call his name Jesus. You don't have to figure anything else out. If you'll just right here in this moment, because I know the past, I know the future, and I know your present, and I know it all right now, what I need you to do is not get so far down the road. You're trying to figure out L-M-N-O-P. What I need you to do, you're at letter A. I need you to take B and C. Marry her and then call his name Jesus. And then when we get there, I'll help you figure out what the next steps are. I have to trust that the God who knows it all knows what he's doing. Why? And I end right here, Isaiah 46. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is no one like me. I'm on another level. Look at this text. It set me free so many years ago. Declaring the end from the beginning, and from the ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do my pleasure. Do you know what this scripture is saying? That God declares the end of a thing from the very beginning of it. Because he does not live in past and future. He lives in present. He lives in Kairos. It's easy for him to look at your situation and say, no, I'm going to look at the space from the start to the finish. But before I ever start your life, I'm going to go to the end and I'm going to finish your life. And then I'm going to go all the way back to the beginning. And then I'm going to start. What he's saying is, I'm never going to start anything in your life that I have not already finished first. I'm going to 
finish it, and then I'm going to go and I'm going to start it. I'm not going to start it and try to figure it all out, how it's all going to work out. No, I'm going to the very end. I'm Alpha and Omega. I'm first and last. I'm beginning and end. And I'm going to go to the end of your situation, and I'm going to see what the end is, and then I'm going to go all the way back to the beginning, and that's when I'm going to start it. Do you know what that means? That means that God never starts anything in your life that he has not already finished first. So if he started healing you, he's finished healing you. The other If he started delivering you, he's finished delivering you. If he started providing for you, he's finished providing for you. If he started turning it around, he's finished turning it around. If he started your purpose, he's finished your purpose. If he started the plan, he's finished your plan. Do you hear what I'm saying today? He declares the end from the very beginning, and he will not start until he finishes it first. You ought to give the omniscient God of the age the greatest praise you got in you today. He declares the end from the beginning. He'll never start anything that he has already finished. That's why he who has begun a good work in me is faithful. Why is he faithful? Because he's already seen the end from the very beginning. This is why. This is why I'm grateful for the God that I serve. He knows it all, and he knows what he's doing. If you're grateful for that, one, two, three, give him praise all over the room. No, 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 give him praise all over the room. Praise him like he knows what he's doing. This is why it's easy for me to say, Christ is my firm foundation. He's the rock on which I stand when everything around me shaken. I've never been. Here's why. Because I put my faith in Jesus. Why? He has never faithful come on so why so why would somebody say somebody give him praise give him praise give him praise oh no he won't Christ is Christ is my firm He's the rock. Everything around me. I've never, never, never known. No. I put my faith in Jesus. Yes, I do. Say, faithful. Come on, I want to take it. Hey, so I. He 
Christ is, Christ is my foundation. God, you're the rock. He's the rock on which I stand. When everything around me is shaken, oh, I've never been more glad that I put my faith in Jesus. Say that again. Say that again. I put my faith in Jesus. Oh, I put my faith in Jesus. Stay right there. Not in people. I put my faith in Jesus. Not in people. I put my faith in Jesus. Not in what circumstances show me. I put my faith in Jesus. He never let me down. Because he never let me down. So why would he fail now? He won't. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. While we were worshiping. The Lord said, there are people under the sound of my voice, and you're thinking, well, he's already failed me. Yeah, that sounds really good, Pastor, but I've already feel like he failed me. I just hear the heart of a loving father telling his sons and his daughters today just trust me I'm working it for your good now I'm scanning the room and I'm looking at situations that makes no sense to me but I'm not God I got a few questions that I have for him about my life too. But that's when I must lean not on my own understanding, but in all my ways, even in these that make no sense, I acknowledge him that even if I have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, as long as I'm with the one who has the plan, I will say what he said to Mary and what he said to Joseph. I'll say to the Lord, I will not fear. I want you to hear me this morning. God's big enough to handle your questions. Uh, but I hear the Lord, oh God, I'm about to run. I hear the Lord saying, just don't let the doubt in your head overcome the faith in your heart. Don't let the doubt in your head overcome the faith in your heart. For I know 
in whom I have believed. And I am persuaded. Is there a persuaded people in the room today? That even if I don't see it, he's working. Lift your hands all over this house this morning. Those watching, listening. Holy Spirit, sweep every son and every daughter. Fresh wind blow over your sons and daughters today. Let a peace that surpasses understanding become the guard over their heart and their mind. Even when we don't know what you're doing, we will remain steadfast and unmovable. Knowing that you are the one who is guiding our steps. Though you slay us, God will still serve you. We speak peace over this house today. Uh, and like the third week of Advent, let that peace become joy. Ah, week one was about hope. Week two was about peace. Father, I pray that you would infiltrate with peace and let it over, be overwhelmed with joy today. The kind of joy that knows that even if it's something you've set before us, we will endure knowing you're working it together for our good. Ah, somebody just give him praise like you know he's in charge. Somebody give him praise like you know what he's doing. Somebody give him praise like you know he knows what he's doing. Oh, we praise you because we know you know what you're doing.